Hey guys, welcome to Humans of Magic. I'm your host, James Sue. Magic is what brings us together, but it is not what defines us. The goal of this podcast is to have interesting conversations with magic personalities and give them a forum to express the things that they care deeply about. Through these conversations, I want to give you insight as to who these people are and not just what they do when they play magic. I truly believe that every person has a story to tell and that you will benefit from hearing different perspectives. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening. It would be awesome if you could subscribe to the show on iTunes. Look for Humans of Magic and hit the subscribe button. And if you like what you hear, please spread the word. Leave a review. Tell a friend. A little bit of help goes a long way and keeps the show going. This is a really special episode for me. In this episode, I interview Tifa Robles. Tifa wears many hats. She's the founder of the Lady Planeswalker Society, a gamer, and perhaps most importantly, a mother. This was one of my favorite episodes to record because we talk about all of these things in a free-flowing way. Tifa is just an amazing person, and I really wanted to get inside her mind and figure out, how do you wear all these hats and remain grounded and successful? Because that's effectively who she is. So without further ado, Let's get right into it. Tifa Robles on Humans of Magic. So Tifa, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. How has your week been? Uh, good. I So right now I work for a distribution company and with it being Magic Release Week, I've just been super busy uh, sending Magic product to stores for their release weekend. <laughs> oh, okay. So distribution for gaming products, Magic specifically? Uh, lots of gaming products, lots of board games, magic, uh, also toys, figures, um, supplies, like comic supplies and card sleeves. Uh, and we do sports cards too, but I don't really do much with that. <laughs> oh, okay. It, it's not really your thing or it's for somebody else? Um, I like I, Gaming is like my specialty area uh, because I know a lot about it. Um, and we have, you know, uh, rep account representatives that are also really into the sports category as well and good at that. So most of my accounts are like board game stores and comic shops that sell things like magic and, um, you know, all sorts of board games. I see. And you're based right now in the Seattle, Washington area. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, but you said accounts. So you're basically working with different gaming stores across nationally. Is that, is that the right way to think about it? Uh, even internationally, um, mostly my stores are in the Pacific Northwest about, I would say 75% of my stores are in the Pacific Northwest and the other 25 are all over. I see. So this is a world that's completely foreign to me, the distribution <laughs> world. So can you kind of walk me through what it's like? I mean, what's a, what's the, what's a kind of like normal day in the life of uh, Tifa Robles, like, you know, as you're working your, your gig and having these different accounts and different stores? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I've actually, I started at this company in January, so I'm still kind of new. Um, I have about 90, uh, accounts, like I said, across the world. Um, and my day to day is really talking to my accounts about how their stores are doing. Uh, we're really customer service focused. Uh, so I care deeply about my accounts. Like we have strong relationships. Um, and like the, the accounts that I work with the most frequently, it's like multiple times a week, I'll be on the phone with them um, or sending emails and just seeing how their community is doing and what sort of things I can help them out with. That's awesome. So what kind of uh, skills do you think are really critical to being successful in this role? Uh, obviously, you strike I me as a very much a people person, but uh, is there, are there other aspects of it as well? Well, that is definitely a big one, like being outgoing, being able to uh, not only being able to talk to different people, but also being able to read people really well, um, which can be really challenging on the phone, especially. Um, 
But an example is like being able to tell if somebody is too busy right then to talk about, you know, pre-orders or something um, and being able to just uh, read if like they only have a couple minutes to like take care of something super important or if it's like, you know, maybe their stores slow at the moment and they can talk for a good 20 minutes about upcoming games and that kind of stuff. Um, and then it, in this role, like mistakes are bound to happen, especially doing as many orders and everything as you're doing all day long throughout the week. Um, so being able to handle that uh, with ease and, you know, being apologetic, but also uh, making sure that you have not only your customer in mind, but also the business and how you can make sure that both sides are always as happy as can be um, and running smoothly all the time. Oh, okay. So a lot of organization, like super high detail oriented role to make sure that you're getting the exact products your customer needs and the right quantities and that kind of stuff. I see. So being really detail oriented, being really people focused, supporting stores in the right way. That sounds like a, quite a handful, actually. It, it is. I would not say that my job's easy, but I love it. I think it's a really, really good fit for me. I see. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit because you strike me as someone who has a very strong passion for gaming. Uh, we'll talk about the Plains, Lady Planeswalker Society in just a second. Um, but I would love for you to just kind of walk me through your background, your personal background as a, as a gamer. Because I, I can imagine that you wouldn't be doing something like this right now had you not have a strong burning passion related to gaming, right? Absolutely. Like, I... When people say, like, you know, you see a meme on Facebook or something that's like, oh, describe, like, one word to describe yourself. Like, I would actually use the word passion. Um, I pour passion into everything that I do. Um, and I think I've always been that way, even as a kid. Uh, and I first, the first game I ever remember playing was on Commodore 64 when I was about three years old. Um, it was a silly little cartoon Fisher Price game. And it, like, I don't know, I just like loved being on the computer and playing this game. Um, as I got older, you know, I would start to play uh, Nintendo games with my brother, like Super Mario Brothers. Um, I was super into that and Legend of Zelda Link to the Past uh, on like SNES. And I mean, it really just, we always had a gaming console in our house. Um, when I was about 11, I played... Uh, through Final Fantasy VII, and the story just was unbelievable to me at that age. Like, it just blew my mind how great, like, that a video game could have that much complexity in it. And it actually got me into uh, writing. Like, I started to write stories and create my own characters, um, which opened up, like, a whole new passion and, like, love for gaming and creativity. Um, and then... So I was really, really into video games, like, all through high school. Uh, and I played, like, family board games with my mom a lot. Like, Sorry and uh, the game Careers and even, like, Shoots and Ladders. Like, you know, classic family games um, a lot growing up. But when I moved to Seattle and started going to college, uh, my main friend group was super into board games and introduced me to Settlers of Catan. And that... I fell in love with that game. I would host all sorts of events for it. And do, like, I even lived in an apartment for a while that we like named the different rooms after like wood, brick and sheep. Like we were just, like, <laughs> super into the game and would come up with like different ways to play it. Um, and then like that got me into more board games uh, and like really deep strategy Euro games and that kind of stuff. Um, like Agricola and uh, Ticket to Ride, Puerto Rico, Seven Wonders, you know, all like all across the board. Um, my uh, junior year of college, I someone recommended I try working at a board game store because um, I was kind of looking for like a summer job. And what did you study in college, by the way? Uh, creative writing, actually. Like oh, I nice. mentioned before, yeah, with uh, Final Fantasy got me into writing. I actually got a degree in that. Um, and I also have a minor in biological anthropology and I'm three credits short of a minor in women's studies. Mm. Um, and both of those were just topics I just loved. I just wanted to take all the classes in it because I enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, so I ended up working in a board game store 
uh, because a friend like introduced me to the manager there and it ended up being a really great uh, place that I ended up working for a year when I even planned on just working there for the summer. Um, what did you like and, most about working at the store? Um, being able to connect a family or a person with a game that could change their life. Um, and I know it's not like the same as like life saving, like a doctor or something like that, but just seeing, I guess, spreading that passion to somebody else, like watching them learn a game and enjoy a game and be able to take it home with them. I don't know. There's something really special about that. Uh, and I also just loved my coworkers and my manager. I actually, the, the guy who was the man, my manager is now my, my manager at GTS. He's the reason I came to work there because working for him had been so great before. Uh, he reached out to me when I left Microsoft and was like, Hey, are you interested in working for me at GTS? And I was like, absolutely. I would love to. So GTS um, is the distribution company that you're yes. currently working yeah. at. Okay. Yeah. Um, GTS distribution. It's a great company, super family oriented. Um, I think it's like perfect for me for where I am in my life right now. And I'm really glad he reached out. Uh, Cause I, I was planning on staying in video games. Like I'd been at Microsoft. Um, but we're jumping. We're jumping a little yeah, ahead. So. No, no problem. I know. I know. I know. That's totally fine. Uh, going back to the gaming, your first, your first experience yeah. at the gaming store. Uh, so while so there, those were the good things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, while I was at Uncle's Games, I started to play Magic, and that was like a huge turning point in my life. Because um, I'd never played Magic. I'd heard of the game. I didn't think it would be for me. While I was at the board game store, I was working at a bunch of magic events and I just started to fall in love with the community aspect of it. How everyone had this like common thing that they would come together and get really excited about. Uh, I worked the M11 pre-release and I don't know, I was just like super into how everyone just loved it. Mm -hmm. So my manager sat me down and taught me the game and within three weeks I was playing in tournaments um, I was super into it. I sort of dived full force in. I played at a GP not even two months into playing uh, and started to just want to play really heavily competitively. Um, and par a huge part of that was I felt like people acted like I'd never be good at the game because I was a woman or I'd get like made fun of, but like, like, oh, how cute you're trying to play this like game. Um, I'm like, I was a serious gamer. So I was like, man, I know that I can be good at this game. Like, I can prove all these people wrong that, like, women can play and be good at it. Um, and this was, I mean, this was years ago. When you, like, there were women, there, women have always played the game, but, like, you didn't really, like, hear about it. Uh, and in the store that I was at, I mean, there just wasn't really a lot of women. Like, I can only think of maybe three that ever came in, and that wasn't super regularly. Uh, so it was like, I was like one woman in this like crowd of 40 guys every, every night that I'd play. Right. So uh, that's really interesting because now that I know about your past background in gaming, whether it was the Commodore 64 or board games at home with your mom, it doesn't seem like there's a shortage of women that play games period. Right. But would you say that there's a, there's a divide between people that play games and people that play Magic the Gathering? Um, yeah, I think it's a different audience. Like, you can play a board game for a couple hours a couple times a month, right? And be, like, that's, like, the extent of your game playing. Or even a board game night once a week. Mm -hmm. But if you're, like, a serious Magic player, it's, it's way more intense than that. It's way more time-consuming. The financial commitment is far stronger because of the board game, I mean, you spend $60 and you have the game. And, like, maybe, like, $20 expansions a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. But with Magic, I mean, you're constantly pouring money and time and energy into it to get better and to keep up with what's happening in the game. So it's just, it's a different time commitment, and that appeals to a different type of person. Um and I also think, like, women have always, in even video games, like, women have always been a part of that community, but that's not the stereotype, right? Like, the stereotype of a gamer is a dude between <laughs> 18 and 25, typically white, 
like yep. nerdy, whatever that means. Like it, it has a perception that's not necessarily true or representative of the community, but that is what people think. And I think that goes a long way in who is welcomed into these games. And the more welcomed you are into things, the more likely you are to try it. Uh, and that's actually being a part of magic the way that I was, I wanted more women to get into the game. And that's why I wanted to start Lady Planeswalkers. I wanted people to know that this game could be for them, regardless of what they heard from their friends or, you know, saw online or whatever, whatever they thought magic was. I wanted them to know that it wasn't just for that stereotype. Right. So, yeah, let's talk about the, the, the Lady Planeswalker Society. I understand that it's going six years strong now, right? Yeah, yeah. We just had our six-year anniversary. Yeah, so how did it come into being? I mean, you're, you're obviously the founder for it, and you have yeah. talked about playing magic and feeling maybe at times ostracized as a, as a woman. So how do, how do you go from that into the Lady Planeswalker Society? So as I was like finishing college, I loved magic enough that I wanted to work at Wizards of the Coast. Um, A friend of mine recommended me for a job. I ended up in customer service. Um, So like magic like seriously changed my life. And while all of that was happening and I was, you know, transitioning from just being a college kid to like somebody in the gaming industry, um, I wanted to make a bigger difference. Like I wanted to make an impact and it started out. I just invited a few friends over to teach, to teach them the game and to play the game with them. Um, I had one friend who played already, but like never played in stores and a couple of the friends who like wanted to learn, but they didn't want to learn from their boyfriends and they didn't feel like there was anybody in the stores they felt comfortable learning from, Uh, but they were interested in me teaching them. I was like, all right, like, let's just have a game night at my house. We can, you know, teach you guys the game. We can play some some rounds and talk about strategy and all that. And after meeting a couple times, one of the women was like, you know, you can make this a bigger thing. You can make this like a real organization. And I, I thought that was like the coolest idea. Um, Card Kingdom in Ballard had just opened up I mean, this was like within maybe a month of them opening. I was told they'd be a really good fit because uh, they were trying to be different and welcoming. And, you know, back to the stereotype, like they were trying to break that stereotype of gamers as well um, with the space that they had. Yeah. So I went to them and talked with the marketing manager at the time. And he thought it was like the coolest thing. He fully supported it. We figured out that we would do um, every other Tuesday, like was an opening in their schedule and it worked with my work schedule at the time. So we had our first event, uh, eight people showed up, which at the time I was like, Oh, this is great. Like, you know, it's not huge, but it's enough to like fire an actual magic event. Um, and you know, we had like a really good time within man, only a few months. I mean, probably only like two months, we realized there was enough interest to actually have it every week instead of every other week. Uh, within six months, we were getting 20 people at our events. Uh, and this wasn't, I also want to point out, this is not, it was never only women. Um, when we first started, it was recommended that if you were not a woman, that you brought somebody who identified that way. Mm-hmm. Um but honestly, that didn't stick around for that long either because I realized that it's more important to welcome anybody who might be intimidated by the tournament scene into the organization. And like over over the years, things have changed and shifted as the group has grown and, um, you know, like the group has grown in a lot of ways and we had to adapt and change and figure out what was best Um For example, there was a long time where there was a debate of like, how important is it that the competitive players feel welcome in our space? And it's important that they feel welcome, but it's also like, you kind of have to make the decision of like, who are you going to make happy? Like if something, if you have to make a decision, 
about like our organizational, the way we run things. Mm -hmm. And the competitive players feel it should be one way and the brand new players are going to benefit from being a different way. I'm always going to go with the beginner players because that's the goal of the group. Like that's the heart of the group is to teach people, have a safe space for people who don't know how to play super well or who haven't been playing long or people who want to play casually outside of FNM. Um, but we also try to provide a stepping stone into tournament play for people who are interested. Um, like that's like our secondary goal is like making sure that if somebody does want to become like a PTQ grinder, but they're new to the game, like we want to help them get there. We want to help them get to like what they want magic to be for them. Um, so yeah, a lot. I mean, we've been through a lot in six years um, and it's a huge organization um, six months after it started, I was reached out to by someone in Portland who wanted to start their own chapter. And I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. And now we have over a hundred chapters in the world. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that is quite something. I mean, just hearing you talk about it, it, you obviously have a, a background of organizing things, whether it was stuff in college or whatnot, but I, I really admire the fact that you have this kind of value system in that you want to make a difference to people and, and you're kind of scaling it out. Right. And, and I think that's, yeah. that's, that's really great to hear. Thanks. It's, it's incredible. Like it's hard for me to believe sometimes like, you know, that it's been six years that there's over a hundred chapters that now like we get events with up to 40 people. Like it's, it's just crazy to me the amount of lives that this has touched and in my wildest dreams, when I first started this, like I never thought it would be that successful. What have been some of the most rewarding moments for you running LPS? So definitely some of the most rewarding moments are when I get an email or a tweet of somebody telling me how this organization has, has changed their life, right? Like I'll, I'll get an email from somebody who says that, you know, maybe they were like, really shy and like didn't play like didn't play a lot of games with people they didn't know before and then they saw this organization checked it out and now you know they play competitive magic at FNM every week or um women who felt the same way that I did for years and years and years and would not feel welcome in their game stores, start their own chapters. And now they are like running their own events and have, you know, a crowd of women that they can go to all the time. Like it's really like the, the testimonials that I get from people and how this thing that I started has like literally changed lives mm -hmm. like that. I just can't even express the emotion that I get from that. Um, and like, I do, I also want to say like, I, I don't do this alone. Like I started it on my own. Um, but over the years I actually have like a volunteer base of about 50 people now that I can go to, to help run events and do like teaching and that kind of stuff, which has been really helpful now that I have a family. Um, but like the fact that there's that many people who believed in my vision and believed in what I did and are stepping up and like, doing that in their own communities and helping me every step of the way. Like it just, it's really inspiring and incredible. And I just feel so supported that it's gone this far and it just like keeps growing and getting better. Yeah, that's great. Um, and if I may, you mentioned some of the things already, things like trying to optimize for, casual gamers wanting to learn the game versus the really hardcore competitive grinders who want to maybe one day be in the pro tour and things like that. Um, obviously you can't please everyone all of the time. Yeah. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you could also speak to maybe some of the other challenges you've had in running the group. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, pretty early on, there was some issues uh, with pair ups with like, somebody who was brand new and somebody who had been playing for a really long time and was super competitive. Um, and like, there was like multiple things that, that happened where like pair ups just like, were not working out well. And, um, 
So for a long time, I would just keep an eye on the pairings and like just make sure that people were playing with people who were going to understand where they were at in their magic career, right? Um, and a large part of that was just like figuring out who the regular people were going to be and being like, okay, if you're like a regular player that's open to like helping a new player out, um, then, you know, I would like know that like, okay, this is like, this group of people, I would keep an eye on, like, anytime somebody comes to, to an event for the first time, I would ask them, like, how long have you been playing? Um, if they've been playing a while, then, like, I don't really pay attention to, like, who they're paired up against, right? It's just, like, and I don't, like, manually assign each person to somebody else. It's just a matter of, like, just making sure that things are going to go well and smoothly. Um, and, like, we, so our events are sanctioned casually, which means there's not, like, nobody gets, like, points for winning, Mm -hmm. Um, and just trying to keep it as civil and friendly and welcoming as possible. Um, there have been times where, uh, like early on, I would make sure to have that conversation with like every person, like now the group's grown so much and I'm not even there all the time, but, um, just like <laughs> I would talk to people as they come into the events about what the group was. And there have been times where there was either a crowd of guys or like one man by himself where they would feel like I was singling them out. Um, like I had one guy who wanted to play in our event and I was like, all right, I just want you to know, like this is made for a safe space for everyone. Um, like our focus is on women being able to play, but we're open to other people playing with us, but you just have to contribute to that welcoming environment. And he like started yelling at me and was like, why do you think that I'm not going to like, why are you singling me out? Um, and he like stormed out and left. I see. Uh, so he got defensive because maybe yeah. of something going on in his mind about maybe some preconceived notions. Yeah. And like, I've been called like the internet's full of trolls and like, I've been called sexist, <laughs> right? Like things like that. Like, sorry, I'm just laughing because yes, it is very much a true factual statement. The internet is full of trolls and, yeah. and might I add haters as well, but uh, yes, please continue. Absolutely. So like, that's been a challenge for me personally. And like, I, I wouldn't say that like I've had to grow a thick skin, but like I've had to, I've had to realize what's important. Um, and it took me a long time to get there. Like when it started, if somebody would say something bad about lady planeswalkers or bad about me, like it would, it would fire me up. Like I would just be like so upset mm -hmm. and I'd want to change their mind and I'd want them to see like, no, I'm doing this for good reasons. But like now I realize like, no, there are just people who want to watch the world burn and like, there's nothing I can do. Like I don't need to care about their opinion. Like they don't matter because they're not part of what I'm trying to do. Right. There's a difference um, between trolling and constructive criticism, right? Right. Yeah. And like, I, I've definitely gotten construction, constructive criticism that's been hard. Um, but I've also tried to evolve the group. Uh, when I do get feedback from people like who have legitimate concerns about how I'm running something, um, I try to make sure that I do listen to that and take it into account. Because um, like I said, like I want this to be welcoming and safe and supportive for all Magic players. Uh, and yeah, like I've just, it's hard to take criticism, but it's also important to listen to the sane ones right like mm -hmm. yeah yeah so just like finding navigating those waters has not always been easy absolutely it's definitely sounds like a challenge and as you're scaling you're growing to a hundred plus communities you cannot ever expect to have everyone even your volunteers be all on the same page right you just kind of yeah. guide the ship in the right direction and and kind of hope for the best if i may use yeah, a crew sure. term yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that gives me a really good picture of LPS. I want to ask you, what does the future look like? I mean, how do you see this organization or this community of getting people to feel like they're in a safe space that's very inclusive? How do you see that growing? Like, I mean, kind of a cliche question, but where do you see this going in three to five years from now? Sure. Um. So I feel like we've kind of hit a plateau for the last couple of years. And a large part of that is because I, I've been really focused on family. Um, like 
my husband and I were trying to get pregnant and then had a miscarriage and then I was pregnant and now we have a baby. Um, so it's been really hard to, because like, that's where the majority of my focus has been. Um, but like, right. So right now we do a lot of teaching at conventions. Like that's a huge part of what we do and we run our weekly events and like, it's been like the train has been chugging along great and doing awesome Mm -hmm. things that I want, want to happen in the future. And it's just a matter of like finding the time to do it. And I, I hope that these things will happen and hopefully within the next three to five years, um, we want to become an official nonprofit organization. Um, that's like a huge goal. It's just a lot of paperwork and some research that I just haven't had time to do. Um, but that's definitely on our list. Um, we've talked about, and like, this is like so pie in the sky, like we're nowhere near to doing this, but either doing like a Kickstarter or a Patreon to have, um, things created and like, like things being a wide range of like anything from like videos of like how, how to draft or teaching magic on like YouTube videos or streams. And then also having like play mats or deck sleeves, uh, t-shirts, those sort of things be available like with our logo, um, or even like magic, not, not magic art, but like empowering art, uh, of like women playing magic or that kind of stuff. Um, like those are things like we've talked about for a long time, uh, that I would love to see happen. And like, if we can turn LPS into a nonprofit and maybe even get some people to commit like part-time jobs to it, like, I think that would go a long way in like being able to do some of these other project ideas that we've had. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's doesn't sound to me like it's pie in the sky. It's like you said, you just have to focus <laughs> in and find the time and get the right team together to do it. Right. It's almost like yeah. a startup or any small organization. You just have to kind of rally the troops as you, as yeah. you Yeah. So I was, um, I actually, after working at uncles when I was at wizards of the coast, so I worked at wizards for three years. Um, and I actually left, with the full intention of making Lady Planeswalker as my full-time job. Um, but then almost immediately upon leaving, I was offered a job at Microsoft that I couldn't turn down. <laughs> and well, like, when the evil empire comes to calling, I say this as a, yeah. as a current employee of Microsoft, full disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> and like, there's, there's a big part of me that's like kind of regrets taking that job because mm. part of me is like, what if that was like my only chance? But I mean, I think it'll still happen. It's just, I have to have patience and I have to have, I have to like really commit to finding that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm hoping that once my baby is a little bit older, that I'll be able to do that. No, that sounds Um, great. I mean, uh, if you do start that, I would love to get uh, LPS gear (laughs) and spread the word. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So can you talk a little bit about how, local communities may actually learn from LPS. I mean, aside from setting up a chapter in, uh, let me give you an example, right? So I'm in, I'm in Beijing, China right now. Uh, I've been living here for a couple of years. We don't have a lot of female magic players for whatever reasons they might be intimidated about getting into the game. Um, I, 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 I should say it's non-zero amount of uh, female magic players, but is there something that, I can take away from learnings of the learnings of LPS that potentially maybe I could even empower more people to play magic in my community or is there, are there like best practices for that to happen? Yeah, I'm just, sure. just kind of, just kind of walk me through that. So a couple things. Um, first of all, making sure there's just like a way for people who are interested to get into the game without it being like a draft or a tournament, right? Like, like, if you're close with your local game store, I mean, that's going to where you're going to be able to make the biggest impact is like convincing them to have like a workshop to teach people how to play. Um, like that's like a big part of it is just making sure there's a way for people to get into the game. Cause magic is not an easy game to learn. It is not an easy game to jump into and you have to support that in order for it to really grow. Um, and, and then the second part of that, is making sure that people are being treated right. Um, Like there's just can be a lot of like, uh, you know, sexist remarks or like 
racist jokes, that sort of stuff that can turn people away really easily without give like, and not give the community a chance at all just because they hear like one thing. And like, I don't blame them. Like they, you know, like why would somebody want to spend their time with people that have, that talk like that and have drastically different values than them, but just keeping the environment welcoming for all types of people so that, you know, it's just like being a good human, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, And if a store puts a like anti-harassment policy in place that that can go a long way. Um, and it's, it sounds like it, it's hard and it sounds like it might push their regular player base out. But if you present it in the right way, like it's, you're not taking something away from somebody. You're just opening it up for someone else. Mm-hmm. to like join. Right. Uh, Cause that's, that's one of the criticisms I get a lot. It's like, why are you trying to take away like our like guys group? And it's like, I'm not trying to take away anything from you. I'm just trying to open it up so that other people can enjoy what you're getting to enjoy. Um, it's very tough so for people to break away from that thinking sometimes. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from because a lot of people think of the world as a zero-sum game. Like, I, if, you, if you present something here, you're taking away something that I have. But it's not always the case, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, if you have a really good, like, tournament organizer or judge at your store who knows how to navigate that in the right way, like, that's all it takes. Um, so it's, like, presenting that and making sure that people are just, like, being cool with each other and not being jerks, right? Like that's, I think like those are the two important components, making sure people are being nice and making sure that new players have a way to get into the game. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really good. And um, I, I'm just thinking now of a personal example in my past. I remember I used to play in a, in a gaming store in Vancouver, Canada, because that's where I grew up. Uh, close to Seattle, actually, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah so... I remember that back in the day we were all kids and we would just say very insensitive things in the course of a tournament. I remember I was playing the Star Wars card game back then, but uh, it was in the 90s. And and I remember one day one of us said something and the store owner, the organizer, I think he was the store owner, but also the organizer of the tournament just said, hey, you shouldn't say that because X and Y. And I think huh. right at that moment in time, everyone got it. Like we were just being really insensitive pricks, to be honest. And, yeah. <laughs> but it really helped us turn it around. But I understand that not everyone has had that kind of uh, lesson in life. And so maybe they grow up there in their 20s and 30s and they still have certain things which may not be entirely proper to say. Um, I, I, I'm just the reason why I'm kind of rambling on here, Tifa, is because I'm just wondering what is the best way to to talk to someone about, hey, something you said may not be entirely PC or or correct when they're already an adult. Like it's easy to say that for kids because you're kind of an authority figure. You're like the card owner in the store and you're, you're just saying, yeah, you shouldn't say that Bobby because X, Y, Z, but it can be hard when people have already developed their own worldviews. Right. So how, how do you kind of navigate that? I mean, it's definitely tough. Um, like I don't feel like I even have all the answers, right? Like it's, it's really hard and it's so case by case, scenario and like what your relationship is with the person what your position is right because if you are a judge for example like you are still in a position of power um or authority rather uh like it's just it's so hard if it's a close friend i feel like that's the easiest situation because it's like hey like i know you're joking around i get that you don't have bad intentions but but come from a, a position of empathy of like, but think about how you would feel if you were somebody who'd, you know, been through some kind of experience. Right. Um, so like, I hate to use this example, but it's a really good one. If somebody is attacking and like, let's say I'm attacking you and you get like completely slaughtered by my creatures and you're like, man, I, I was just raped. Like, mm-hmm. I get that that's just like a slang term that you just mean that you were like just destroyed. But if somebody in the room had actually had that experience happen to them, like how do you think that's going to make them feel that you're comparing something that happened in a card game to this thing that they might have post-traumatic stress from, right? Like it's something like that where it's like, if we were in that situation and you said that, I was like, Hey, I know you're just like joking, but how would you feel if like that had actually happened to you? Like, would you still make that joke? Mm -hmm. Um, So like trying to appeal to their 
empathy, which I hope like every person has some empathy in them where they can understand how another person might feel. Um, And like, I also, if somebody doesn't react well to that criticism, I still hope that they learn something from it. Like maybe they'll think about it later. Like maybe they're defensive in the moment, but I've known a lot of people who, when they were younger, like in their early twenties would react like, Oh, like you're just trying to censor me. But then five, 10 years later, they realize like, you know, I was wrong to act that way. Yeah. Um, and like any little interaction they have of somebody trying to educate them on how that's bad can make a difference, even if it doesn't make a difference overnight. Right. It's all about experiences, right? And part of growing up. Yeah. And I mean, we're all always growing. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sure I still sometimes make mistakes. And we all do. It's like, that's what life is, is just like constantly learning and growing and becoming better. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I do feel like I'm getting a good sense of the the fact that you've been exposed to lots of different situations. Maybe not to you personally, (laughs) but having to deal with a lot of things happening with this society of gamers and community as a whole, right? It's it's definitely not easy. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, being a life like a lifelong gamer girl, like, and super involved with conventions and just being a really outspoken person. Like I, I've definitely dealt with a fair share of people that don't like the things I say or the things I wear or like whatever, like uh-huh. being a gamer girl was really, really hard uh, for, you know, my, like the time frame that I was one. And like, I think it's getting better. Like I actually think even like video games and everything, like I think in the last five years, women have made like a huge push there's definitely movement and momentum in it becoming a better place. And I'm hoping that by the time like our generation's kids are our age, that it like will barely be an issue anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I I think we can, we can definitely strive for that together. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let's switch gears very, very slightly Uh, (laughs) from, from LPS founder and uh, all around, uh, talent to mother, right? I mean, yeah. tell me about this. I mean, is 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 motherhood the hardest thing you've ever had to do, or or uh, you, give me give me the rundown on this because I, sure. I I'm gonna get there one day as a, to be a parent, but I'm not quite yeah. there. So, uh, what's it been like? <laughs> so we are really really lucky. We have a very easy baby. Um, like talking to other parents and like what, reading forums and all kinds of stuff, like we're super lucky. Our baby has not had a lot of issues. He doesn't cry a lot. Like when he cries, it's like very obvious why. Um, it's not super often. He's really happy. He mostly sleeps through the night. Like we've just, (laughs) we really lucked out with our kid. Um, and I think there's a lot of percept, like our own perception has helped with that a lot because we, our, uh, both of us have a lot of nieces and nephews that we have had for a long time. So we have a lot of exposure with kids and I was a nanny for a while. Like, um, so kids weren't like a new thing to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, both of us are the type of people we've always wanted to be parents. Um, and like I said, like we, it, what, it didn't happen very fast for us. We try it. It was, it was a really hard struggle getting to the point where we had a baby. Um, and you're asking like, is having a baby, has being a parent been the hardest thing ever? My miscarriage was the hardest thing that ever happened to me. Um, and I guess that sort of shaped how I'm viewing being a parent. Cause I just feel so grateful and blessed that I'm able to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, our baby is also just like exceptionally easy for a baby Um, that it, like, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier than I was expecting. I feel like people talk a lot about like the negatives of parenting more than they talk about the positives. Um, it's definitely the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. And like, I feel like I've, I've had a lot of rewarding things in my life, but there's nothing better than coming home to my baby boy and him being like excited to see me after a long day at work. Um, but yeah, like the first month is really hard, but you also barely remember it. Um, like 
it's just a huge adjustment for you and your relationship and you're not getting a lot of sleep. Uh, and it, it's just like everything in your life is kind of flipped upside down for that first month while you figure everything out. And then you like slowly figure it out more and more. Um, and like you have, you have to be willing to adapt and like just open to like whatever stage your baby's going to be in. And, you know, some days are harder than others. Uh, he's teething right now. So there's been a couple of nights where like, he's not going to sleep easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just have to be open to that. Uh, we're also lucky because my, my husband's been a stay at home dad. Um, so, you know, we, we, like he can, if Xander is up for a night, like my husband brings him downstairs and I, I get to like sleep. <laughs> uh, I think it'd be a lot harder if we were both working. Um, and then we'd also be dealing with like daycare and all the germs and he might be sick and, uh, you know, I just, I feel like in a lot of ways we've just been really lucky and it, maybe that's why it's like been so easy for us. Um, but it's definitely the best thing ever. And I'm always so excited for anybody when I find out that they're pregnant. Um, or even when (laughs) my friends are like considering trying soon, like I'm just so excited to like watch other people go on this journey because it's just the most incredible thing that's ever happened yeah it sounds like it can be a roller coaster but i I love your reply because you're like a you're expressing gratitude for all that's happened and b it seems like you guys have a good structure in terms of the work-life balance and and how xander is part of your life now and and and, well for both you and mike so yeah that's great there's one other thing. So a lot of times I hear parents be like, oh, once you have a kid, like you're never going to see your friends again. You're never going to get to go out. <laughs> and like, that's not true. And like, maybe it is with some kids, but like for us right away, we didn't adjust our life to like be at home all the time. Mm-hmm. Like we, from the time, basically from the time him and I were well enough to like be out and about we've taken Xander like two lady planeswalkers on Tuesdays or two parties that our friends are throwing. Um, Like we've gotten him used to breaking the schedule to being out and about. And like, I think that that's going to go a long way with him just knowing how to act, you know, when you are in public and being able to socialize and be okay in crowds of people. He's already been to three conventions and like, he's, like having that exposure, it's not going to be something that's hard for him. Cause he's just going to be used to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that was something that was like a goal of ours. It was like, we're not going to just like be a homebody for a year because then the, then that, that would be the norm for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that that's been like really successful for us. It sounds like it's kind of a mindset thing that you're not resigned to just telling yourselves my life is completely, irrevocably change or or quote unquote over because I'm a parent right yeah yeah it's like now we get to share all these things with him and yeah like we do have to like be home earlier than we used to be like um because he does get a little bit crazy if like he misses his bedtime but I mean it's still we can still go out and do things and we just have to plan a little bit better um, which I'm a compulsive planner anyway. So maybe that's also part of it. It's like, it's <laughs> really easy for me to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's just, I feel like it's just been way easier than people make it sound. <laughs> um, but again, that's one, that's one family. I'm sure there are others that it's actually is way harder. Yeah. And he's not two years old yet. Right. So he's not, no, he hasn't reached a terrible two stage yet. <laughs> no, like who knows? Who knows what I'll be saying when you know we we get to the toddler stage? Yeah, who knows um, what the future will bring? Nobody, right? Right. <laughs> he's ten months old right now, so like he's crawling close to walking, um, not talking yet, but saying a few words here and there. Like he's just getting to that point where it's like he's super mobile, um, but like it's it's just starting, right? Like it's gonna get only crazier from here <laughs> yeah well the one thing you said that's really interesting even for me hearing as a as someone who's not a parent yet is you said the first month is just like a blur i mean next thing you know xander will be 
rolling some dice and like playing his first magic <laughs> tournament and going to college. So it just feels like you have to treasure the moment and be grateful for every day and week and month. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. So every single parent we talk to, because we have friends that are parents and like lots of family um, that have kids. And like, we would just be like, oh, like, what's your like one piece of advice? And like consistently across the board, every single parent will tell you it goes so fast. And it's true. Like we felt like the first month took forever. And then since then, it's just zoomed. Like we cannot believe we're already planning his first birthday party. Like I feel like he was just born like not that long ago. <laughs> and it's just crazy. And you're right. You have to treasure every moment. Like I'm so glad we have smartphones now to take pictures every day of yes. everything going on. Um, because it just, it happens so fast, but we definitely value strongly the like making sure that we have time to just be a family. Like we eat at the dinner table six nights a week if we can. Right. Like, or even if we're out somewhere else, like we will all sit down as a family and eat um, just to like have that shared experience and be together. Um, and we think that it's like really, really important that we have time that we can like cherish and raise him to know that like family is important and like quality time together is what is like the most important part of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely the right perspective. That's, that's awesome. Uh, and I want to ask too, this is related to parenthood, but not completely. Uh, obviously every, every marriage, every relationship is different, but I wanted to ask, does your marriage dynamic change now with you and Mike now that you guys are parents like kind of before and after, do you feel like there's been a sea change at all or? Absolutely. I think that that is for us, that has actually been the hardest part of parenting is just the shift in our dynamic. Um, and I think that's probably like how a lot of people, like I would imagine that for any relationship that's true um, because you go from it being all about each other or yourself to there's not like now it's like 100% of the time, the most important thing in the room or in the world is your child. Like that's just a whole, it's hard to even explain, but it's like there is a human being that you are responsible for. Nothing else matters compared to that. Mm -hmm. um, so like if there is a minor conflict, it's like you don't really have time to sit and talk it out like you used to. And it's still important that you do that, but like there's going to be interruptions. There's going to be things like you can't focus on your relationship anymore. Um, we have, so when we started dating, we said that we have to have one date night a month. And part of that was knowing that that was important to us when we had kids. Mm -hmm. So we have stuck with that. Like our entire relationship, we've had one date night a month. Um, it wasn't very long into having Xander that we realized it should really be two nights a month now that we have a baby. Um, because there's just like so little time where we get to even really pay attention to each other. Like we do talk about our day when, you know, I get home from work, like we talk about the whole day, but like so much of that is still involving Xander. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's also nice to have two nights a month where we go out and we just enjoy each other. Right. Like, getting dressed up and going out to a nice dinner and talking over dinner or even we've even had dates where we like wear comfy clothes and go to a movie theater and just like cuddle up in the movie theater and watch a movie. Like having those memories and those moments without him is also super important to keep a healthy relationship because obviously we want our son to grow up with loving parents who mm -hmm. can deal with conflicts and you know resolve them healthily and we want him to see all of that so that he has a good example for his own life yeah that's key right because your child may be 99 percent of your life but it cannot be or he or she should not be 100 percent, is what you're saying right yeah yeah and it's a really hard balance and like it, i think it's also important that we have our own things too like uh and the way that we do that is like i'll i'll take xander out for a day so that Mike can do his streaming. Cause like, that's something that's really important to him. Um, and we still go to lady planeswalkers about half the time now. And like, Mike will take care of Xander there so that I can play magic. 
Um, and just like different things like that. Like I have ladies nights. Um, he has like, uh, fight nights where he plays fighting games with his friends. Like we try to find balance where we have our own time, time with just the two of us and family time. And I think it's like, I think like all things in life, like you just have to find balance and moderation and finding that right groove that works for you. And I think all families, it's going to be different. And I think we've done a really good job of figuring out what that is for us. No, that's amazing. I'm, I'm really, really glad that you guys have your heads and mindset on in the right way. It's, it's actually really inspiring as someone who is looking to potentially take that path uh, in the, in the future. So that's, yeah. uh, that's great. <laughs> communication, communication is key. So I hope that you and your wife have like, if you have a strong communication in your relationship, I think that that is like the number one thing that'll take you the whole way. <laughs> awesome. I, I feel like there should be this upcoming book from you, like Tifa Robles, <laughs> like how to be a gamer, found the LPS, uh, you know, make an impact to women and people around the world and also start a family. You know, you can, you can do this. <laughs> Thank you. That's like the best compliment ever. I would love that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, so kind of, I just want to kind of, uh, ask a kind of a few kind of closing questions. Uh, sure. maybe they're more like forward looking, uh, in, in a sense. Um, well, actually the first one here is actually more forward slash backwards. I wanted to ask you, if you could go back in time five years or so, is there anything that you would tell yourself, like tell Tifa from five years ago that might serve you well today? That's tough. Um, I always, I always struggle with the like back in time sort of philosophy. Cause it's like, if I were to tell myself something, would that change where I am now? Right. Yes. Like, I love, spoken like I a true, uh, spoken like a true nerd. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And like, I love where I am now, so I wouldn't yep. want it to be changed. Uh -huh. But I think I would just tell myself, I think I would just tell myself that I'm, that I'm on the right path. Right. Like I would give myself some, like a pat on the back and some confidence that like everything that I am doing everything right. Cause I think it's just like part of our human nature is to question everything we're doing. And you know, that's always, that's always hard. Like, especially five years ago, cause that was like not long after college when I was still trying to figure out what my career would be when Mike and I had, you know, a new relationship at that time. Like just knowing that everything I was doing was right would have been great. <laughs> like that would have like set my mind at ease a little bit. And maybe, maybe I would have just, had a little bit more positive effect on my life, right? Do you find that you're generally hard on yourself that you just like, cause your answer suggests that you want to sort of give yourself in the past kind of a pat in the back and just say everything will be all right. Do you find in general you have, you're, you're pretty hard and demanding on yourself? I am super critical of myself, like big time, all the time. Like if I make a mistake at work, like I will just beat myself up and like, it's something I feel like in the last two years, it's something I've been working really hard on and I've definitely made some big strides, but I think I'll always, that'll always be part of me is just being really hard on myself. Like I'm a perfectionist and I know it. Um, and like that, it's also a good thing in some ways. Like it has brought me a lot of success in life, mm -hmm. but it's also stressful and tiring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but self-awareness is key, right? I think you got to be able yeah. to harness that. As long as you can harness that for good, uh, not evil, then we're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, is there something that you would tell your son maybe in three to five years when he can actually understand what you're saying? And uh, what would you? What are some of the values maybe that or lessons you like to tell him? So this definitely ties into some of the things we've talked about. But I want him to know that empathy is the most important tool. Um, I want him to be able, like from the youngest age possible, to be able to put himself in other people's shoes and feel what they're going through. Um, like that is, I think, if I can make sure that he does that and uses that ability for good, I will feel like I'm successful as a parent. Like if I can just do like that one thing, I'm like obviously I want to give him more than that. But like, I think that is the number one piece. And like, I think that that, if I could turn up 
anything in the world and every person, it would be empathy. Cause I think that that is like the key to a better world. That's great. That's, uh, I'm, I'm just nodding my head over here because that's, that's, <laughs> I, hopefully that's what I could tell my children, you know, in the future. Yeah. That's the empathy yeah. is putting yourself in another person's shoes and being a good human. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one last question. Uh, what would you say to a young woman or a young woman who want to play magic for the first time? To believe in their self and to not let the haters win, right? Like to just, if they love it, keep at it. Um, regardless of what other people are saying or how, how how hard it might seem to get good at the game. Like just, just keep at it. Keep playing, keep practicing. Um, if you need a break, take a break. But like, if you really want to be good at this game, if you really want it to be a part of your life, then just keep going. Excellent advice. So, uh, yeah, there we have it. Tifa Robles. Uh, I really enjoyed this talk with you, Tifa, and thank you for making the time to, to sit down and talk about your life. <laughs> this was really great. Thank you so much. Yeah, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah, for sure. That's it for this episode of Humans of Magic. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Just search for Humans of Magic and hit subscribe. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Humans of Magic, and uh, we we'll look forward to seeing you next time.